All right, so within the compound shooters, uh, you broke it down further into everybody's five shots there with fill points and broadheads. Uh, what'd you find out there? Yeah, so I ran this three different ways. I ran an average across everybody, and then I broke it out based on those who were shoot, fill point, and broadhead. So on average, um, with just everybody included, build points and broadhead, the average was 3.44 with a, with a mode of five. Um, and then for the filled point average, we got a, I got an average of 3.69 with a filled point mode of five and a broadhead average of 3.35 and a broadhead mode. Rockcast is powered by Onyx Hunt, and for good reason. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app in the industry. Stay tuned for a Rockcast promo code. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. I'm Sam Weaver, hosting today's Tipsy Tuesday, a short segment covering rockslide.com tidbits, hunting news from across the West, with just a sprinkling of tips and tricks to keep you well-informed. For your next adventure. It's the second week of June, and by now most states have notified their lucky tag holders. On today's Tipsy Tuesday, we're going to discuss the pressures we put on ourselves from drawing a good tag. We have longtime contributor Tony Treach, who always seems to find a way to get on some of the best animals in any Unity draws. We also welcome Michael Sherman to the show. Michael is a 20-year Marine veteran who has hunted several different states, spanning his career in the United States Marine Corps. While having drawn several good tags, Michael's dream came true this season when he drew one of four non-resident California bighorn sheep tags in Nevada. Does this tag put the pressure on? We'll find out. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey, Thanks. how you doing? All right. I know for me, I've drawn a Utah Max Point elk tag, a once-in-a-lifetime buffalo tag, and a sheep tag. I'm curious if you guys were like me and started to feel the pressure from drawing such tags. I know with my elk tag, everyone just kind of assumed killing a great bull was a given so that I had the external pressures. And as the hunt neared, I realized I might never draw this tag again, and it really started to stress me out. I let it get in my head, and in some ways, it ruined an amazing hunt. What are your guys' experience? Michael? Michael. Yeah, so, you know, be honest with you, I tell you that this, this tag drawn, it sure added a lot of urgency to my fall schedule. And having some past hunts where... I've had, uh, like, for instance, I had a great tag in Arizona for an archery bull and, you know, the pressure of killing a, a monster. And I was seeing, you know, really big bulls and, and I got an arrow in one and, you know, it was the first elk that I ever lost. And it turned into like the, a heartbreaking hunt that I knew I'd never be able to do again, because I'm not going to get those points back. And, you know, it's tough, you know, you want to, you want to be successful. You want to share that success with everybody. And, uh, you know, when you get a tag like this big horn tag that I've got, you know, obviously I want to be successful, but I've got to also keep my head in the game. So I do it right. Tony, the way I view these tags has probably changed over the years. I'm a pretty intense guy. So I, I guess I try to treat them the same way that I would any tag, but first you got to figure out, you know, what your expectations are and what you're going to be happy with. Um, and then let that guide you kind of like how you, how you go about things. For me, I'm going to try to find the oldest animal 
in the unit. Some people might want to just have the experience and it, the results, you know, they just want to take something home at the end. The more prepared I am before I get there, the less stress will be on me. So I always make sure I've got a you know a list of call the DNR, the, you know, the local warden, I'll call the, the local biologist, I'll call, you know, try to get a hold of, find other people who have drawn it. People like to talk about once in a lifetime tags because they know they're not going to get it again. So they just are dying to have somebody to tell their story. So often you can really get some good intel on these once in a lifetime type hunts. Whereas normally, you know, no, no one's, you aren't going to get Robbie Denning to start talking about a, a general deer tag in Idaho. He's not, he's going to, you know, tell you to go pound sand. If you ask me about moose in Idaho, I, I drew a tag. I'll tell you everything about it. I'll probably warn you against hunting there. I mean, or applying for it. It's not good. So the more things I have in line and the more boxes checked as far as like my, you know, pre-hunt plan, the better I'm going to feel when I get there. I'm a big proponent to scouting on a general tag, you know, something you can get every year. So for something you're going to get once in your lifetime, I mean, if you don't like your job, I mean, maybe quit. And, you know, if you got a good career, then I'd start trying to figure out a way to work some overtime before the fall comes so you can get a lot of time off. And I'd put just as much time scouting as I plan on putting in hunting as much as you can anyways. Find something that's going to make you happy. Don't listen to anybody else's expectations of what you should be shooting. Try not to let the pressure of it get to you, I guess, is I guess the best way I'd say it. I just, for me, I put that pressure on myself almost every hunt, and it's just, I kind of like it. You know, it's, it's, a giant, it's a game of hide and seek, and I got I to gotta find them. Remember, too, that we're doing this because it's supposed to be fun. Yeah, I think you bring up a, a great point, too, Tony, is I know all of us on today's podcast put in for a lot of states try to draw not only great tags, but any tag sometimes, you know, and you have to treat that going in five, three, two points is a big investment in a lot of these places. I agree with you. I think the more time you spend thinking about it and preparing for it, the more value that you put on it, the more investment that you're going to give into it. If I could add a couple on, I, I, I agree with Tony, you know, that to me, some of the the most exciting part about having that tag is the anticipation of leading up to the hunt and all that you can control to get ready for it, whether it's getting in shape, going through your gear, building spreadsheets for, you know, your if you're doing a backpack hunt for your weight or your food um, and focusing on practicing with your weapon. And even if you're you're far away like I am from Nevada, I'm, I'm 26 hours to the sheep unit, you can still do that type of scouting. You may not have boots on the ground, but you can talk to a biologist. I talked to the BLM today. You know, you can get a hold of a lot of resources, a lot of people out there, especially with a tag like this, like Tony said, that will help you with information. And I think what helps me is trying to avoid thinking about the uh, the, the difficult things that you could happen. For instance, I was talking to somebody about the unit and they they said there's an outfitter in there that you just need to avoid because he'll, he'll blow every ram out of there so you don't kill it first. Um, I talked to a guy that couldn't glass for three weeks because fires in California were smothering the unit. I mean, those are things that none of us can control. And if they're going to happen, luckily the season's long enough, I've got enough time to do it. But if you're on a five-day, six-day, seven-day hunt, and you've got a wildfire that's blowing smoke, and you're dependent on glassing, I mean, that can make it a tough situation. But that's something you got to deal with when you're on the ground, not in preparing for the hunt. So don't worry yourself with that kind of stuff. You know, one of my biggest fears is getting injured, you know, hurting myself in, you know, physically preparing to go on the hunt. 
And when, when you're north of that 50 mark, you know, those injuries take a while to heal. So, you know, I, I can't be worried about that. I got to focus on the things that I can't control. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, there's variables you control and there's variables that you don't. I think when you focus on what you can control, gives you that confidence of knowing that you're doing everything that you can. The amount of stress that we feel is different depending on sometimes the tag that we drew and sometimes where we are in our hunting career. You know, early you draw a great tag. It's a lot more stressful than after you've had a couple and you realize it's kind of old hat. You just kind of approach it the same way, maybe as you, as you did these other ones. That was a good point Tony had of, of just what your expectations are going in and setting realistic goals. And you can't set those if you're not, if you're not spending time on the unit and having a look around for yourself, you can't, you can't be trusting the biologist or, or somebody that hunted it six years ago or even three years ago. That's a long time. So you got to put your eyes on there if you want to set a realistic expectation for yourself there. I'd agree. I, I think if that, you know, again, just committing to that expectation and committing to your goals is important. And, you know, you're the one that's got to live with it. And if, you know, I've had a couple hunts where I've had a 350 bull, 340 bull minimum in some pretty good units. And I came home without an elk and, you know, I could have, yeah, sure. I could have shot a 300 inch bull, but I got a 300 inch bull on the wall. And, you know, and I was fine with that. I was, it was a great hunt. I got in a lot of action. Um, and you start to value other aspects of the hunt besides just the harvest. I think you, you do, especially as you get a little bit older, but, you know, stick to your goals. And, uh, if you don't, accomplish that then you know keep applying so there's there's other states other tags i guess so to maximize the experience of drawing a great tag how are some of the ways you guys mitigate those feelings tony everything i do is kind of based around preparing for the fall including making sure everything's situated at home and the wife's happy and everything's good there but i try to keep myself in good shape so that that's not a, an issue when i get there like i said i have a, a bunch of people i call you know in the state to try to figure out as much as I can about the unit. I try to figure out as much as I can about the the roads, the trails, uh, points of access. Once you get there, you know, if you get, if you got everything taken care of that you could have taken care of, and then it's just a matter of putting in the work that you've been, you know, looking forward to. It doesn't always go as planned. Like you said, you can't control the weather and you can't control, you know, something like wolves coming into the unit, uh, in the area, the moose tag I had in Idaho, it took me 10 days just to find a, a bowl that was over a year and a half old. There was lots of times when I questioned what I was doing and uh, how I was hunting, tried different things. I tried tracking them down, which <laughs> could not tracking down a, a bull moose in the rut is, uh, it's, it's not easy. Even with fresh snow every day, keep your expectations, you know, in mind while you're hunting and your plant, you know, stick to your game plan and just enjoy it. I just, you know, like on that moose hunt, I just kept grinding away and grinding away and eventually it happened. It's, it's easy to get down on yourself if, if, you know, maybe your expectations were a little higher than the unit can produce. You know, these units aren't always, these tags aren't always the same every year. Sometimes something happens and you can, uh, you know, the animals can, can take a hit. What, you know, there's a lot of units right now that lost a lot of deer last, from this last winter and you have to adjust your expectations. Uh, to that and these once in a lifetime tags aren't really any different uh they're just hard to get i never had a sheep tag uh i'm almost scared to have a sheep tag because i'm afraid i'll love it and then spend way too much money going going north to get uh, thin horns and i can imagine the the anticipation of getting there and you know, finding finding sheep in a silks pretty uh pretty unreal but you just got to remember you know it's 
they're just animals. They're not magic. We can go out there and find them and hunt the way you want to hunt and try to find an animal you'd be happy with. Yeah, I think one of the things that you really help yourself with, Tony, is by giving yourself enough time to be successful. And I think that's the hardest part in this day and age is to know how much time you need to dedicate. But even these great tags, you're not just going to show up and it's not going to come together. you got to give yourself enough time to do it. The less time you give yourself, the more pressure there's going to be, especially as the days start to tick away. Sam, you bring up a good point. And, you know, I think um, with some of these once in a lifetime tags, a lot of the, when they, when people like me draw, we're, we're older and probably have a little bit more flexibility. And, and I know, you know, the younger generation now, they, they want to go out and do everything within a week. You know, people are, oh, I'm going OTC for five days in Colorado. Where do I go? You know, it's, it's tough to do a lot of that stuff in the short time that they set for themselves. And, and you know, for instance, this sheep tag, I got a two month long season. I already had um, an Idaho tag I have for elk, archery elk. I have a Arizona archery elk tag and I had a Wyoming application. Nice. And, um, and I, I turned back my Idaho tag. I can go to Idaho. I've been going to Idaho almost every year, you know, and I went to Wyoming last year and it's like, this is the sheep is a priority. And I did turn back my, um, Arizona tag because if I do, I won't draw it because I'm our, I'm right there at the cut and I'm not going to gain that point back even with point guard. You know, I'll, I'll, I get this year's points, but I don't get another one. But one of the things I I do and I you know get out there early, find the sheep, learn about, watch them, sit there with a spot and scope. And I love you've mentioned get boots on the ground. I love going early because there's no pressure. You sit there, you know, two or three days before the season open, and if you see a nice animal, you just get to watch them. And you get to learn about them. Mm -hmm. You get to pattern them and see. Now, all that could change, of course, but it's that kind of just gets the overall experience really pumping. And with this hunt, because it's going to be so uh, memorable, I'm bringing in my son and my daughter, who we both have a lot of memories together hunting. And we're going to spend some time together on the mountain, make it a family affair. So, Yeah, and I think you bring up a great point, Michael, is if we hunt deer or if we hunt elk, we know about deer and elk, right? But when we get a sheep tag, we may not know about sheep and we have to learn what they like to do, why they like to do it that way. And that not only helps us build our confidence going into the hunt, but it helps us at the hunt. When I hunted a buffalo, I don't know, before I really got into it, I just thought they would be more cow-like and be out in the flat and the thing, they don't live out there. You know, these things that I hunted lived on the rim halfway up and halfway down. They only... You know, they didn't have to drink water every day and they only ate 10% of their body weight. So they really just, they're an amazing animal, but I, I knew nothing about them until I drew the tag. And it was just an amazing experience, the whole thing, just going through the process. Onyx Hunt is the number one GPS hunting app in the industry. And one reason they're leading is because they're continually providing updates to the Onyx Hunt app. Updates like the new Onyx in-dash navigation suite. From the time you slide into the seat of your vehicle, viewing Onyx Hunt with CarPlay and Android Auto allows you to easily flow from Onyx to the road in front of you, ensuring you know exactly where you are and how to get where you're heading. Want directions to a certain point in the Onyx Hunt app, but don't want to keep glancing at your phone? Use the Navigate To feature to navigate to your saved waypoints. This is true off-road navigation for hunters. You can now use the Onyx Hunt app hands-free and have access to your map markups, public-private boundaries, routing, offline maps, and more. Do it all from the seat of your truck. 
If you're ready to make the jump, save 20% by using the code ROCKCAST at checkout. One thing I kind of want to circle back to with Tony is talking about setting expectations. If your expectation is a number, you got to know how to get to that number. For you, Tony, and I don't know what your process is, but how do you learn to score an animal? How do you, what do you think are some of the best resources, I guess, to, to learn to judge something? That's a good question. I actually just drew a Barbary sheep uh, tag in New Mexico on range uh, this year. And I started a, a thread in, on rock slide there in the sheep form, just asking basically that, like, you know, are there any good uh, guidelines out there uh, for, for Audad or Barbary sheep to figure out uh, just, you know, I don't really care about score. I just don't want to, I just want to shoot a mature animal and I haven't seen any of them, you know, in person and, but just little, little tips and tricks from people who have spent a lot of time around them to be able to, you know, it's easy if there's 15 of them to tell which one's the big one, or at least the, the biggest one. Who knows if they're really big, but when they're alone, it can be a little tougher. I did the same thing with antelope. Um, when I drew my, an antelope tag last year, it might sound kind of funny to some of you, but you know, it's my first antelope tag uh, for a buck. I searched, you know, if, if there was anybody out there that had a uh, kind of a write-up, explaining you know how they judge antelope and uh an outfitter pronghorn uh, i think it's called pronghorn guide service they had a great write-up uh explaining in detail how they how they score uh antelope bucks yeah just just gotta do work you know most of us grew up hunting you know either mule deer or whitetail or, or elk you know that's a common more common species so it becomes kind of just second nature and you you don't even have to like you know, think all that much. Sometimes you just kind of can put it in a class, you know, uh, an age class or whatever. But, you know, I, 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 if I drew a sheep tag or a mountain goat tag, I'd be putting a lot of work into trying to figure out what's good, you know, and how to identify, you know, like for mountain goat, like how to identify a, a male from a female. Um, there's just, there's just things you got to, with each species, I think, figure out before, before you get there and just do your, do your work and due diligence and, uh, I mean, the information's out there. Uh, it's always good to have a a good friend on uh, speed dial too. You can text them uh, to just go pictures too. I, I bugged the hell out of a couple of my friends last year on the animal hunt until I found a good one. You know, being able to admit maybe where some of your weaker points are and reach out to those in your circle to try and strengthen you up there. Yeah. But again, it comes down to your expectations too. You know, if, if you just want to shoot any mature ram, then it's, you know, whatever, it's not going to be that hard probably to, to figure out one that's that's legal and, uh, you know, thus mature and figure out what you want to shoot before you get there. And and if you can't, you know, if you get there and you scout for five days and you don't find anything even remotely close to, to what you thought you were going to be shooting, well, you might have to reevaluate, but just address those things as they come. You make a good point right here, Tony, is you have to decide if if you're willing to eat this tag and go, you know, you're all in. It's either what you think you're going to get or nothing, or if you're willing to settle maybe. And I think that gets a lot of guys, like I talked about, I mean, that got me is I killed a great bull, but that was not even anywhere near the potential of the unit, but that was probably the best opportunity that I'd ever had in my entire life. Mm -hmm. And I maximize on it. So, you know, maybe looking back, I don't regret it as much as I did right then at that moment. So sure. But, you know, Tony, you, you bring up, it's funny, I was reading that thread and it's it's always neat watching or reading people's different perspective. You know, oh, you need to look for the big chaps or you got to, you know, how much hair is between the horns and antelope are tough. 
you know, growing up in New Mexico and, you know, like you said, having those realistic expectations and understanding what the unit potential is. If you're in a 70 inch antelope unit, it's going to be tough to find the difference between a 70 and a 75 inch antelope. If you're in a, you know, a, an 85 inch antelope unit, there's a big, it's easy to see that difference, you know, but that mm-hmm. antelope, it, their horns are, are just, there's just a little bit of difference can be a big difference if that makes sense. And, you know, there's some yeah. other things too with a buck that may have a little trash or, you know, a bull that has nice swords, but, but no fronts, you know, they're just some other aspects that make things cool. And then I, I'm a big believer in the, uh, the experience, you know, I'd rather have a screaming bull, you know, at 30 yards tearing up a tree that's a 320 bull and get an arrow in him and have a great experience than having, you know, shooting a 380 bull out the window of a truck. You know, some people, they they value the animal more than the experience. Some people value the experience of that hunt and that harvest more than the animal size. So again, you know, everybody's a little bit different in that. And it's always neat, especially Rockslide, a great place to see those different perspectives. Agreed. So basically we covered kind of if it's stressful or not, how we mitigate some of those stresses and uh, go into our prep work. Is there anything you guys think we missed? Anything we want to close out on? We just don't forget to stop and enjoy it because it's only going to happen once. Yeah, I think that's probably the best the best point. And don't forget to remind yourself of that, especially when you're having that down day where you're not seeing the animals you think that you should be seeing and you're on day four of a six-day hunt or something. You know, it's supposed to be fun. At the end of the day, it is hunting, no matter what tag that you have. Yeah, I, w- I would agree. Again, when you when you walk off the mountain for the final time, regardless of the species, whether you were successful or not, it was probably dependent on something you did or didn't do, or at least a decision that you made. And you're the one that's got to live with it. So you may as well come to peace with it and, and enjoy the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. Control what you control and then let everything else go. And it's going to shake out how it's going to shake out. And I think you just have to come to terms with that. And you can do that before you start, or you can do that on the ride home. Yeah. If anyone has any questions for Michael Sherman, you can find him on the Rockslide forum as Marine for Life or Michael Sherman on Facebook. Tony can be found at Rockslide as Tony Treach, or you can go to Instagram and take a look at his collection of big bulls and big bucks at Tony underscore Treach. That's T-R-I-E-T-C-H. All right, guys. Hey, appreciate it. No problem. Glad to be here. Thanks. On to the draw news. Not looking good if you're still looking at getting another tag for 2023. About all that's left going forward is antlerless draws. If that interests you, you better start researching your preferred state, as most have a June-July deadline. Recapping the last few Rockcast episodes. Ryan Avery host Larry Bartlett and Dr. Robert Coker as they dive into Minimus Nutrition, an innovation that could potentially cut backpacking food weight in half. You guys better give this one a listen. Robbie has Bill Vander Hayden from Iron Wheel Broadheads on the Rockcast. If you're interested in great aero flight, tune in to listen to proven research on what components make the biggest difference. Bill also goes into great detail about Iron Wheel's new arrows and what sets them apart from everything else on the market. Travis Hobbs hosts his friend, Jaden Bells, and they talk all things Wyoming. Moving on to review articles. Mike Moore does a review on the new Kafaro Wind River Jacket. This lightweight windbreaker gets put through the paces as Mike tackles the backcountry in Arizona and Montana. 
How does Mike rate this jacket as a springtime must-carry? He gives up all the pros and cons in this article. Howard Mee does a great review on the new Born Primitive Outdoor Clothing line. Howard talks about some of his favorite pieces and what missed the mark in his opinion. I've been using a couple Born Primitive pieces myself this spring, and my thoughts align with Howard's thinking for the most part. Give this article a read if you're looking to get some new solid clothing pieces. All right, guys, the cold bow has closed, and we had uh, Corblins from Rockslide go ahead and collect the data, and he's going to share what he found with us today. So um, welcome, Landon, to the show. Thank you, and thanks, thanks for having me on. So kind of go through, I guess, and let us know uh, what data you collected and, and what you did with it there. As far as far as data goes, I basically just collected everything that kind of goes into the cold bow. Um, so we I, I tracked the max effective range, the number of hits out of five, and then anything else that was kind of posted that was that was easily obtainable. All right. Sounds sounds awesome. Why don't you uh, take us through bow brands and we'll go through the sites and that and then we'll get into the numbers. Okay. So bow brands, um, there was there's 27 people that shot Hoyt, 24 that shot Matthews, and 12 that shot Elite, um, obviously. And then there was a, a whole bunch of others that shot a bunch of others, but that's the only ones that I compiled was the top three. As far as sites goes, 29 people were using black gold, uh, 15 people were shooting spot hogs, and six were shooting CBEs. And then for the, the broadhead brands, the most common used was Sever with 12 people, Iron Will with 10, and then QAD with 8. All right. That is that is pretty interesting. Field points versus broadheads. The data on this was a little hard to, to put together just because I was trying to compare it with compound versus trad. So overall, we had 77 people shooting broadheads and 37 shooting field points. I know there's only a hundred shooters, but that, that takes into account both the, the individuals that are shooting both compound and trad and, and comparing those. So that number's a little bit over just due to that. Just so we all know, what, what are the numbers on uh, compound versus trad in the, in the competition here? Out of everybody that shot, there was 85 that just shot compound, four that shot traditional, and then there was 11 people that shot both compound and traditional. So 85% of the shooters in the cold bow were shooting compounds this year. So a little over 85 cuz you'd have to count in those other ones but yeah. Okay, let's go into the uh the maximum effective range. What what did you find out there? When I was when I was comparing this as um I, I ran both the average and the mode as most people know it's average it's just, you know, add everything up divided by the number of entries. And mode is your most common number out of those entries. So the average on the compound for max, max effective range was 56 yards with the mode being 60. So the majority of people shot at 60 yards. Um, we had a maximum of 100. I believe there was two people that shot that and a minimum of 20 yards. Um, we had a couple of youth shooters that, that brought that down. All right. So within the compound shooters, uh, you broke it down further into everybody's five shots there with fill points and broadheads. Uh, what'd you find out there? Yeah, so I ran this three different ways. I ran an average across everybody, and then I broke it out based on those who were shooting fill point and broadhead. So on average, um, with just everybody included fill points and broadhead, the average was 3.44 with a, with a mode of five. 
Um, and then for the filled point average, we got a, I got an average of 3.69 with a filled point mode of five and a broadhead average of 3.35 and a broadhead mode of three. All right. So for those of us that don't really speak in statistics, can you break it down in layman terms? What um, Basically what this tells me, I would personally, I pay attention more to the difference between the filled point and the broadheads and what really stood out to me. So your mode is your most common number out of everybody that you were looking at in this case. And so with a filled point, most people that were shooting with filled points hit their target five out of five times. But then when you jump down to the broadhead, they only hit it three out of the five. So the most interesting part to me is that if you're shooting field points and then you just hook on your, your broadheads and go hunting, you're kind of putting yourself at a disservice there. Your hit rate is decreased by 40%. Right. So the most common for field points is five, which would make it 100%. Common for broadheads is three, which is 60%. That does go to show that we overestimate our skills in the broadhead world there. Especially one, one, the number one broadhead we're shooting as a sever, which is basically almost a field point. All right, Landon, can you tell us about what you found out on the traditional side? Yeah. So we had a, on the traditional side, the, the, when I ran the stats for the max effective range with an average of uh, 22.25 yards with a mode of 20. So again, majority of people were shooting at 20. We had a maximum of 40 yards and a minimum of 15. As far as as far as the data for the hit, you know, the hit percentage out of out of five, we had an average of two point six two five with a mode of one. So the vast majority of the people that shot in the the traditional only hit one out of the five times. And that tells us why we shoot compounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you a massive discrepancy in in you know yardage and and the hit percentage. So the biggest takeaway for me from the cold bow is, you know, we overestimate our skill set and then we screw on some broadheads. Our hit rate goes down even farther. It's great to get our bow out early, get it put together and start shooting. Yep. What What's your summary of the whole thing? I mean, for me, it would be the exact same thing that, you know, just that difference of the field point versus the broadhead and what, what that changes. Um, I also ran the numbers on, you know, the number of shooters that hit once, twice, three, four, five. And it was kind of interesting to me that, I mean, realistically in the compound world, three, three to five was pretty similar, but it was kind of a little bit upside down on the traditional where more people hit once out of, you know, than, than those higher numbers. But yeah, the biggest takeaway for me would hands down just be that the discrepancy between the broadhead and the, and the field point on the compounds. Yeah, I agree. The people that say the that the fill points hit exactly with their broadheads are in the majority, definitely in the 2023 Cold Bow Challenge. I was just going to say, definitely eye opening on my end of of. I mean, I'm no archery expert in the slightest, but definitely need to be shooting with my broadheads more often. Yeah, me too. All right, Landon. Well, I appreciate you putting all the effort in and uh, crunching the numbers for us, giving us some hard stats. I think in years past, you know, we kind of glanced at it and and in our mind maybe had those conclusions, but we didn't have any hard numbers. So I do appreciate you putting in the effort and uh, getting the numbers for us. Yeah. Yep. No problem at all. If any of you guys have any questions for Landon or the process he used, hit him up on Rockslide uh, under Corblin. All right. Thanks. 
Until next time, this has been Sam Weaver.